It is with much joy that I make this presentation in Austin, Texas, where I now live, but at the same time as I speak to you, I speak to the believer in places like Ireland and the sincere Catholic who is searching and to others who will listen to this message as it is played on tape or over the internet. So, welcome to the presentation on the certainty of the written word of truth and subtitled The Lord Christ or the Pope of Rome. The Lord Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer declared the truth of God's word when he said sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth God's word not only contains the truth but rather is the truth itself this is consistent with the declarations right through the Old Testament in which the Holy Spirit continually proclaimed that the revelation from God is truth. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 142, Thy law is truth. The Lord himself therefore identified truth with the written word. There is no source other than the written scripture alone to which this statement, Thy word is truth, can apply. That source alone, the Holy Scripture, is the believer's standard of truth. In the New Testament, it is the written word of God and that alone to which the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles refer to as the final authority. In the temptation, the Lord Jesus three times resisted Satan in saying, It is written, for example, in Matthew he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, the very phrase that the Lord used is in the Bible 80 times. The prevalence of this repeated phrase underlines its importance. The Lord's complete acceptance of the authority of the written word is evidenced many times, but, for example, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 it is written, Think now that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. Other sources of authority are condemned. Jesus Christ continually castigated and rebuked the Pharisees. Why? Because they placed their tradition on equal par with the Word of God. They honored and revered it equally to the written Word. He condemned them because they were attempting to corrupt the very basis of truth by equating their traditions to the written word of God. He said to them, for example, you are making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. And that was in Mark chapter 7 verse 13. These traditions of the Pharisees were precepts, ordinance, and rules of religion. 
and there were practices that had developed over the course of time. They'd be passed on by word of mouth and selectively edited writings. These traditions, oral and written, formed a body of cultural material that became the official set of interpretations and rituals for religious life. That was the basis for the Pharisees. The Sadducees at the same time as the Pharisees were quite different. They were a religious party of religious liberals and they had appropriated the thinking of Greek Gnostics and philosophers. They had manufactured uh, beliefs on, based on their reasonableness rather than what is revealed in the written word of truth. Since, however, Holy Scripture alone is inspired and alone is authoritative, the Lord castigated both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this was, of course, in complete accord with what had been said in the Old Testament in Proverbs uh, chapter 30. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Align to what is in Proverbs, the Lord's clear warning to the Pharisees and clear warning to us is in complete accord with Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word it is because there is no light in them the truth is that it is God's written word alone that is breathed out by him and any who contradict the written word of God place themselves outside the authority of God because that is what is declared in the written word of truth itself and highlighted by Christ Jesus the Lord. The expression sola scriptura from the time of the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, the Lord God wrote with his finger on tablets of stone. And from then on to the present day, the written word of God has been existent in the world. The term sola scriptura, or the Bible alone as the measure of truth, is the shorthand, as it were, that scripture is the only point of reference for finding out what is to be believed about God and our duty that God demands of us. The very phrase, it is written, means exclusively transcribed or written down and not hearsay. The command to believe what is written means that we receive only what God has given to us. What is at stake before the all-holy God is his incorruptible word of truth. For men, what is at stake is the very certainty that we need. In the words of in the word of the Lord in Proverbs chapter 22, that I might make thee know the certainty of the 
words of truth and of quotation. The certainty is needed for the salvation of immortal souls. The very last commandment in the Bible, the Lord God resolutely tells us not to add or take away from his word. Revelation chapter 22 For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy, the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. End of quotation. Now we get to the principle of interpreting the written word of God. The principle sola scriptura or the Bible alone as authority is consistent with the very way in which the word of truth comes from God and is to be interpreted. In the words of Psalm 36, For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light we see light. God's truth is seen in the light of God's truth. This is exactly the same as the Apostle Paul when he says, quotation, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It is precisely in the light which God's truth sheds that his truth is seen. Scripture provides its own sufficient rule of interpretation. The Apostle Peter, under the impulse of the Holy Spirit, declares, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Logically, then, the Apostle Peter makes it very clear that in order to maintain the purity of God's written word, the source of interpretation must be from the same pure source as the origin of Scripture itself. Scripture can only be understood correctly in the light of Scripture, since it alone is uncorrupted. It is only by the Holy Spirit's light that the Scripture can be comprehended correctly. The Holy Spirit causes those who are the Lord's to understand the Scripture. Since the Holy Spirit does this by the Scripture, obviously it is in accord with the principle that Scripture itself is the infallible rule of interpretation of its own truth. As the Apostle John said so clearly in 1 John, it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Those sincerely desiring to be true to the Lord in this very matter of the Bible only learn to turn to the Lord and obey his commandment that is given in the Old Testament. Turn you at my rebuke. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you I will make my words known unto you. It is 
this yearning for truth that is the essential attitude explained in Psalm 51 with a broken and contrite heart that we look to the written word of God and let it interpret itself in the light that God has given us in the written word of God. In the words of the Apostle John, quotation, this is a disciple which testifies of these things these things, and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true. Thus the Apostle John wrote as did the Apostles Peter and Paul in order that we should be saved and know that God's testimony is true. The total sufficiency and clarity of Scripture is the next topic that we come to. The total sufficiency is declared by the Apostle Paul in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Quotation, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. For final truth and authority, all that is needed is the scripture. This is because the word of God bears its own rule of historical grammatical interpretation. Sections that initially appear obscure because of our lack of understanding are clarified by other parts and made plain. The Holy Spirit himself gives the believer so that he may study and know the gospel and the will of God may be plain unto him. It is by this means alone, comparing Scripture with Scripture and under the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit, that safeguards the believer as he reads the written word and keeps him away from imaginative, self-centered deceit or the traditions of men. The traditions of men are abhorrent when it comes to the written word of God. And the clarity of Scripture is such that the Apostle Paul could write to Timothy that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Even a young person can come to the knowledge of who God is in His holiness, justice and truth and to what it is to be made right before Him. In the words of John the Apostle, chapter 3, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There is no mystical or hidden meaning to this verse, as is in Scripture right the way through. And whenever there is any thing that we might dispute, we let Scripture interpret Scripture so that the clarity of the Word of God is seen. Now, there are claims that sola scriptura, the Bible only as authority, is not possible, and I think we have to look at these. To attempt justify tradition as an authority, an appeal is often made to the very last verse in John's Gospel, where it is stated, quotation, that there are also many other things which Jesus did 
the which, if they should be written everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Of course, there were many deeds and things of the Lord that are not recorded in Scripture. But Scripture is the authoritative record that the Holy God has given to his people. And we do not have one single sentence that is authoritatively from the Lord outside the written word of truth in the New Testament. To appeal to tradition as an authority which the Holy God did not give is futile. The idea that somehow the sayings and events of the Lord were passed on by word of mouth is simply not true. Given the fluid nature of language and the fragility of verbal communication and the difficulty people have to restore things in their memory, such a claim is ludicrous in the extreme. Uh, the Bible even gives uh, an example of false tradition even at the time of the Apostle John writing his Gospel. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 23. And John refutes this oral tradition by saying, a saying among the uh, brethren, abroad among the brethren, going around the church that the Lord would not return before the Lord came back. And that was in John's Gospel to get the exact words, read John 21:23. Another attempt to justify tradition is the claim that the early church did not have the New Testament. However, the Apostle Peter, speaking about the writings of the Apostle Paul, stated, even as our beloved Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written uh, unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. And so the Apostle Peter declares that his writings, that the writings of the Apostle Paul were scripture and that we have in them the written word and he himself wrote regarding why he wrote down his epistles was that in his own words wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though ye know them that ye as you be established in the present truth. From the earliest times, a substantial part of the New Testament was available. Under the inspiration of the Lord, the Apostle Paul commanded that his letters be read in other churches besides those to which they were explicitly sent. This clearly shows that the written word of God was being circulated even while the Apostles lived. The Lord's command to believe what is written has always been something that the believers could and did obey. In this matter, we must have the humility commanded in the Scriptures not to think above what is written. In the words of the Apostle Paul, that you might learn in us not to 
think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one against another. The absurd rationale that because the early church did not have the New Testament we need to have tradition is just pure arrogance and ludicrousy. In the first place, before the canon of the New Testament was complete, the apostles were present as Christ personally commissioned ambassadors and he endorsed their authority as teachers as being from himself. Secondly, during the transitional stage in establishing the New Testament, uh, the apostles had no difficulty whatsoever preaching the gospel from the Old Testament scriptures and using them as an authoritative guide in all matters of faith and morals. The New Testament writings were incorporated and received into the canon of scripture when the last surviving apostle had completed his work. Written revelation was at an end because the final prophetic word of salvation had been given in and from the Lord Jesus Christ. No further word from heaven could have been given nor should anyone look for anything more either then or now. The Gospels are the record of his first coming in the flesh, the acts of the apostles, of his coming in the spirit, and the letters of the apostles are the inspired comment on them. The book of Revelation is a record of what his second coming will be and the instruction in the meantime. The documented evidence is finished and complete. Now this next part is important for you about the written word of God and your love of God. The Lord brings the topic of truth to bear on you as a believer in him. He underscores its importance. The Lord Jesus said, and he continues to say in his written word, If any man loves me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. And again he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. His own life, the glory of who he was is given to us in his written word, in his own words. He that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. His supreme aim was to please his Father in heaven. And he confirmed the very message of the Old Testament that the law of the Lord is perfect. The believer, to be true to the Lord, must hold to the written word of God. In the words of Christ Jesus in John 17:17, 17, 17, Thy word is truth. All true believers, therefore, must acknowledge that there is an absolute measure by which things are to be judged, either true or false. 
in times past this was called the rule of faith or the basis of truth and the measure by which truth is known this principle is clearly demonstrated in the Old and New Testaments it is the written word of God it is impossible to own the Lord Jesus Christ as master and refuse the rule that he has given to us and that is the Father's rule by which he has given us his written word there is no halfway house we cannot say that we love the Lord if we do not love his word this is the very criteria that I give to you in the words of scripture this is the man I will look even to him that is poor and contrite of heart and that trembles at my word and now I come to what is the authoritative word for Catholics and here I'm going to give many quotations from the Code of Canon Law and from the New Catechism of the Catholic Church the exact references are given in the article as it is on our webpage greenbeacon.org on the internet and I'm not going to give the exact reference where these things are published and the publication date and these can be gotten in the footnotes on the written article I will give some of the numbers involved but everything is documented with uh, Catholicism the basis of truth or what they claim is the basis of truth is absolute but it is not the unqualified authority of God in his written word rather it is the authority of a man the Pope of Rome the ultimate authority is the decrees and decisions of the reigning Pope this is seen in the documentation from official Roman Catholic sources for example Canon 749 declares quotation the Supreme Pontiff in virtue of his office possesses infallible teaching authority when as supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful he proclaims with a definitive act that a doctrine of faith and morals is to be held as such the mandated response of what the Catholic Church calls the Christian faithful is given in a subsequent canon 752 quotation a religious respect of intellect and will even if not the assent of faith is to be paid to the teaching which the supreme pontiff or the college of bishops enunciate on faith and morals when they exercise authentic magisterium end of quotation any appeal or recourse against this totalitarian imposition of claimed infallibility is silenced by another canon that is 333 quotation there is neither appeal nor recourse against a decision or decree of the Roman pontiff end of quotation according to the Bible however infallibility is an attribute of God and not of any man or 
group of men. Like eternity and omniscience, infallibility is among God's incommunicable attributes, properties of his being which cannot be passed on or delegated to creatures. There are some things which the scripture declare that God cannot do. He cannot lie. Equally, he cannot create another infallible one. The people claim to infallible teaching authority is essentially a claim to divinity. The Roman Catholic doctrine exalts the Pope above all that is called God. Scripture makes it clear that the revealed truth of God's word is solely from him. Quotation For prophecy came not in any time by the will of God, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more strikingly plain than the arrogance that the Church of Rome has in its claim for a man to have the attribute of God in infallibility. Now, Roman Catholic apologists and others will try to explain the infallibility of the Pope in different ways and say it is situational infallibility and that it is not that he himself has this uh, as a possession but it is because of his position as successor of the apostle and as supreme pastor and head of the church and their alleged charism is as the head of the continuing apostolic uh, college of cardinals or bishops that are in charge of the church. The Pope's infallibility then it is alleged is situational and not inherent. Now this way of trying to explain infallibility uh, is just simply splitting hairs. Nowhere in scripture is there any suggestion of apostolic succession. The Roman Catholic claim is completely inconsistent with the recorded commission of the Apostle Peter to take the gospel to the Jews and of the Apostle Paul to take it to the Gentiles, including those at Rome. In the New Testament, the Apostles did not confer limited infallibility on anyone and no one is qualified for this limited infallibility. It is a contradiction. Infallibility is of God's own nature and this type of situational infallibility is just as much a claim to the divine prerogative as the uh, very prerogative that would claim to have the authority of God and his attribute. In scripture there is only one lawgiver who is able to save. In the very words of the Lord there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. That a human being should claim infallibility as God defies imagination but papal and 
collegiate in solidarity are what the Roman Church does in fact claim. It not only goes against the very word of God, but it also mocks or denies the facts of history. For example, Pope Honorius, who was reigning for the Roman Church from 625 to 638, was condemned as a heretic by the Sixth Ecumenical Council. He was also condemned as a heretic by Pope Leo II and by every other Pope until the 11th century. And so it was in the past that infallible Popes were condemning so-called infallible Popes as heretics. The Roman Catholic historian Bernard Hassler writes, quotation, but Pope John XXII did not want to hear about his own infallibility. He viewed it as an improper restriction of his rights as a sovereign. And in the bull Qui Corundum 1324 condemned the Franciscan doctrine of papal infallibility as the work of the devil. End of quotation. And so even a Roman Catholic um, man, a archbishop, in fact, and I would like to give the footnote here because it is a quite important book and it can still be obtained. It is How the Pope Became Infallible and it was published in the USA by Doubleday and Company Limited in 1981. Um, others have said the same thing such as um, von Dollinger and these I give in the written transcript of what I'm now saying to you. The claim for tradition as divinely inspired comes in the New Catechism, quotation paragraph 1161, following the divine, divinely inspired teaching of our Holy Fathers and the tradition of the Catholic Church, for we know that this tradition comes from the Holy Spirit who dwells in her. Thus the Church of Rome claims that her tradition comes from the Holy Spirit. And then she declares what the Word of God is in her New Catechism. Quotation, Since the Christian religion or the Christian faith is not a religion of the book, Christianity is the religion of the Word of God, not a written and mute word, but incarnate and living. That was from paragraph 108 of the New Catechism. Only people who are devoid of the Holy Spirit could write such, and I try to say this speaking the truth in love. When we know the evidence of how Scripture has God's stamp of excellence on it and how it is fulfilled in so many distinctive ways. For example, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says and a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and the same Isaiah chapter 9 says unto us a child is given and uh, the mighty God and Micah chapter 5 and thou Bethlehem out of thee shall come forth uh, shall come forth unto me that shall be the ruler of Israel 
and Zechariah, behold, thy king comes unto thee, he is just having salvation, lowly and riding on an ass. So many of these things were so literally fulfilled. They were all fulfilled in the New Testament. And the remarkable written word of God, God has spoken in the last days by his Son. The revelation is given in written words to preserve us from tradition. And yet, as we have just read in paragraph um, 1161 of the Catechism, that the Church of Rome claims that her tradition was given by the Holy Spirit. There is no comparison between the absolute clarity and what was fulfilled in the uh, Word of God from the Old Testament to the New and what the Church of Rome claims to be her tradition. And we will see that she goes further to say that her traditions are from God as we will read some other quotations later on as I speak to you. If she's claiming an identity with her writings and the very Spirit of God, then God will be responsible for all the torture, murder and heresy that was propagated from Pope Innocent the Third in the year 1203 until when the Inquisition stopped in Spain and Portugal in the year 1808. That is over 600 years. God was not responsible for these things and it was not his divine uh, prerogative to inspire tradition and all the fruits of that tradition over those 600 years. What is divinely inspired is in contrast to what tradition is and what tradition leads to. I want to continue to read from paragraph 1161 of the Catechism, going back to what I read before and completing this paragraph. Following the divinely inspired teaching of our Holy Fathers, the tradition of the Catholic Church, for we know that this tradition comes from the Holy Spirit who dwells in her, we rightly define with full certainty and correctness that, like the figure of the precious and life-giving cross, venerable and holy images of our Lord and God and Saviour Jesus Christ, our inviolate Lady, the Holy Mother of God, and the venerated angels and all the saints and the just, whether painted or made of mosaic or other suitable material, are to be exhibited in the holy churches of God on sacred vessels and vestments walls and panels in houses and on streets end of quotation now trying to speak the truth in love by the grace of God this is purely idolatry plain and simple the written word of God makes it clear that idolatry is forbidden by God 
and that is in Exodus chapter 20 and we are shown in Habakkuk that making of images of God corrupts those who use them and very clearly the Apostle Paul gives the word in Acts of the Apostles that anyone who does this thing is to repent uh, the um, Holy Spirit orders those in the New Testament as he did in the Old in the words of the Apostle John little children keep yourselves from idols the traditions of the Church of Rome such as unholy water mixed with oil and salt the smell of charcoal incense and the lives of frustrated celibate men and women and worst of all idolatry that is shown clearly in this paragraph from the New Catechism all contradict the written word of God and they make mockery of the word of God if I speak strong words here it is because the scripture itself speaks very strongly of those who would desecrate the word of God and his truth and we try to say these words knowing the mind of the Lord as it is given to us in his written word the church of Rome the Catholic church claims that her tradition is sacred and we get this again from the Catechism and its paragraph 80 quotation sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are closely bound together and communicate one with another for both of them flowing out of the same divine wellspring come together in some fashion to form one thing and move towards the same goal the Catholic Church claims that one thing the written word of God and her tradition are together one what she calls the word of God in paragraph 81 she says sacred scripture is the speech of God that is put down in writing under the breath of the Holy Spirit and holy tradition transmits in its entirety the word of God which has been entrusted to the apostles by Christ the Lord and the Holy Spirit it transmits it to the successors of the apostle so that enlightened by the spirit of truth they may faithfully preserve expound and spread it abroad by their preaching end of quotation now this is to dishonor God's written word in the words of Christ Jesus so clear he said scripture cannot be broken the Church of Rome declaring that holy tradition transmits in its entirety the Word of God is literally a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit why? because the Holy Spirit transmits His Word to the believer it is His design and purpose in transmitting His Word to His people and it is not the Spirit's purpose to uphold idolatry, superstition or necromancy as does the Church of Rome in her traditions so we have 
the very traditions of Rome and the clarity of the written word of truth. Rome is quite clear how somebody is to read scripture and this comes from paragraph 113 of the New Catechism quotation read the scripture within the living tradition of the whole church this if done is denying the very written word of God and our hearts should go out to those who really take this seriously and follow the instruction of the Church of Rome our hearts melt the written word of God is given to you as a believer just as the Israelites in the desert had manna each day and the Lord provided for their their sustenance physically now those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are given the written word of God so that in the words of the Lord he that believes on me as the scripture says out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water now the Roman church goes even further in her catechism in paragraph 77 and 78 under the title apostolic tradition with a subtitle continued in apostolic succession the Catholic Church says the following quotation in order that the full and living gospel might always be preserved in the church the apostles left bishops as their successors they gave them their own position of teaching authority indeed the apostolic preaching which is expressed in a special way in the inspired books was to be preserved in a continuous line of succession until the end of time. This living transmission accomplished in the Holy Spirit is called tradition, since it is distinct from sacred scripture, though closely connected with it. End of quotation from paragraph 77 and 78. Nowhere in scripture is there a reference to the existence of apostolic succession in the New Testament the apostles appointed rather ruling elders and deacons nevertheless the Catholic Church claims this personal succession from the apostles if one wants to use this concept of apostolic succession the true successors of the apostles are those who have the doctrine of the apostles and apostolic succession without apostolic doctrine is simply a fraud the only biblical doctrine that we have is the one that is given in the very pages of scripture and to invent this idea of apostolic succession physically handed on throughout the ages is just a ploy to rob people of the very written word of God that is given to us in the scripture when one investigates this succession and what its fruits are it is quite apparent even in the famous John Henry Newman 
he wrote of the pagan origin of many of the Roman Catholic practices. And this I am reading now from an essay on development of Christian doctrine from who was finally Cardinal John Henry Newman. Quotation, we are told in various ways from Eusebius that Constantine, in order to recommend the new religion to the heathen, transferred onto it the outward ornaments to which they had been accustomed in their own. The use of temples, and these dedicated to particular saints, ornamented on occasions with branches of trees, incense, lamps, and candles, votive offerings on recovery from illness, holy water, asylums, holidays, and seasons, the use of calendars, processions, blessings on the fields, sacred vestments, the tonsure, images at a later date, perhaps the ecclesiastical chant and the curialism are all of pagan origin and sanctified by their adoption into the church. End of the quotation from Newman. Such is the apostolic succession, if you wanted to use that term. It is a tradition of incense, candles, votive offerings, holy water, processions, blessed oil, palms, ashes, and prohibiting people to marry who are in the ministry and ordering abstinence from certain food. It is, in the words of the Apostle, a form of godliness while denying the power thereof. Tradition as an equal source of certainty is stated in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that is the official teaching of the Church of Rome. Quotation, as a result, the Church to whom the transmission and interpretation of Revelation is entrusted does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. End of quotation. This statement is a formal denial of the sufficiency of Scripture and a repudiation of the unique authority of Scripture. For a church that claims equal love of tradition and Scripture, it is just unbelievable what she here says. It's like a husband declaring his love for his wife and at the same time stating that he equally loves the woman across the street. Such a love is adulterous, to say the least. And for the Church of Rome to declare equal sentiments of devotion and reverence for her tradition is to show her unfaithfulness to God's written word. Now for you who are Catholic, I try to say these things in the Lord's own compassion and love because it is hard to hear, but here we must and see what is the logical conclusion for those who say that both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. And what is the end result of these things? What in fact is the 
criteria, the rule of faith for the Roman Church? Do they equally love tradition as they do uh, the written word of God? No, they show you that how it is to be understood and that scripture is to be according to the sense which Holy Mother gives you. This was declared quite emphatically at the Council of Trent that is recognized by the modern Church of Rome and I'd like to give the exact words from the Council of Trent quotation the apostolic and ecclesial traditions and all other observances and constitutions of the same church I most firmly admit and embrace I likewise accept Holy Scripture according to that sense which our Holy Mother Church has held and does hold whose office it is to judge of the true meaning and interpretation of the sacred scriptures. I shall never accept or interpret it otherwise than in accordance with the unanimous consent of the Father's end of quotation from the Council of Trent. And so we have quite clearly in the Church of Rome just how she takes tradition and it is not equal, it is according as Holy Mother would have you understand. And this is in accord with the Catechism of the Catholic Church where she says quite clearly, believing is an ecclesial act. The Church's faith precedes, engenders and supports and nourishes our faith. The Church is the mother of all believers. No one can have God as Father that does not have the Church as Mother. End of quotation. And so this turns out to be quite like the famous Animal Farm. I presume you know what Animal Farm was. It was the famous book trying to declare that all animals were equal, but some animals were more equal to others. The Roman Church does not hold equality with the written word and tradition tradition subsumes authority over and so it was very much like Napoleon in the famous writings of Animal Farm and others that were given to us showing that in fact all animals were not indeed equal this is hard to read but we have to see that Christ spoke really hard words to the Pharisees. He said that their tradition was making null the very word of God and he called them ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. If the Lord spoke such harsh words to the Pharisees who are we to try and water down or to make as if it were less what the Church of Rome is presently doing in trying to nullify the written word of God by her tradition. As you listen to me with the text in front of you, you will see that I deal in the written notes with the whole meaning of 1 Timothy 3.15, the church being the pillar and ground of truth. 
I show from the Catholic World Report the fruitfulness of the Roman Catholic tradition, how it brings about a dislike for the scriptures and um, brings about a lack of confidence in the authority of scripture and many other things from the 1999 World Catholic Report. This is documented in the written paper. I deal also with the Apocrypha and how it poisons the Word of God, the written Word of God, in taking into itself books that even the Jews never accepted. And I give the exact uh, quotations from the Apocrypha showing how they deceive people and lead them into error using the quotations from the Roman Catholic Bible and such books as Tobit's, Judith's and First and Second Maccabees. Then I come to a conclusion and this is where we exalt the Lord, we exalt the Holy Spirit who has given us the written word and who transmits it and convicts us with the written word and we pray for compassion for those who are under a system that puts the written word of God on a par with equal love and devotion as their traditions. And to say that this tradition is inspired by the Holy Spirit is literally a blasphemy against the very Spirit of God. We ask that you listen to the very truth of God's Word as you read the pages of the written Word and know the God of Scripture, the Word of God as given to us by the Apostles and Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken, thy Word is truth. And that is exactly where it's at. I ask you to look unto the Lord, for He is the truth. And what He authenticated in the Old Testament, and what He gave to the apostles to write, knowing that the Spirit would lead them into all truth. And that before the All-Holy God, in His Word, that you cry out to Him for wisdom, it is He who convicts, and He shows you the truth of his written word. And then for the listener, how can you be right before this all-holy God? It is to recognize that you are a sinner by nature. We are all sinned and have fallen short of the, the glory of God. To admit that our sin has separated us from God. And then to acknowledge that you and I need a substitute to cry out to God for his free gift of salvation and to know the glory of being saved by grace through faith and in Christ Jesus alone. All this is based on the secure and absolute certainty of the written word of God. And we know the truth because it has been given to us of God it is from God and of Him. And to Him be the praise 
the glory, the worship, and the honor. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.